Hello, and welcome to episode 70, Healing Chronic Pain and Illness with Edna Pereira, Registered Psychotherapist. When we are diagnosed with a chronic illness or suffering from chronic pain, our life, our identity, and our future flash before our eyes. It's often an incredibly unfair experience and one that induces an immense amount of suffering. Experiencing these changes to our physical health and well-being are completely life-changing. And unless you're on, on the side of this experience, it's really hard to understand and empathize and receive validation for what you're going through. Edna Pereira is a registered psychotherapist whose focus is in helping her clients manage and heal from chronic pain and chronic illness and learning to live with these conditions through validation, acceptance, and helping clients work out the the practical aspects of managing a life while they deal with chronic pain. She helps Clients come to a place of non-judgment and self-compassion and work through what material presents itself in the moment in terms of the physical sensations, the emotions, and the the, the thoughts that may arise from from such an experience. Edna is is non-judgmental and she has an inclusive approach to collaborate with her clients to best meet their needs and life goals through strength-based narrative, solution-focused emotion focus and cognitive behavioral modalities. She has a master's of arts in counseling psychology from Yorkville University, where I'm actually starting my first term. (laughs) She's a registered psychotherapist with the College of Registered Psychotherapists of Ontario, the CRPO, and a member of the Ontario Association of Mental Health Professionals. She's a certified life coach with the Certified Coaches Federation and a certified holistic nutritionist through the American Fitness and Professionals Association. You can find her at aboutmind.ca. I really love this conversation because we talk about things like what it's like to go through the diagnostic process when something is going wrong with your body and you're experiencing symptoms how to advocate for yourself and then what happens once you receive a diagnosis and you start to receive medical care because one thing that the medical system is primarily focused on is is the physical aspects of chronic conditions but who's there for you to manage the myriad emotions and and thoughts and life changes that come with such an experience? And so we get into all of that. And it has a three-step process that she takes clients through, which we which we discuss, and it, it's not linear. And um, and she also we also discuss you know how one might might find trust in their body, especially when your body quote lets you down in a certain way so i i have so many patients that deal with chronic illness and pain and i think this is a wonderful episode i had you in mind while we recorded it so i really hope that if you're struggling with this if you know somebody who's struggling with this that you give this a listen and and please share it to whoever you think might benefit without further ado Here's my conversation with Edna Pereira, registered psychotherapist. Hello, Edna. Welcome. Thank you, Talia. Thanks for having me. Hi. So could you tell us a little bit about your practice, what you focus in? 
Absolutely. So um, I have a private practice with a business partner. So she and I work together in um, Etobicoke called About Mind Mental Health Clinic. And so we tend to see individuals, couples and families um, focusing on relationships, anxiety, depression um, and self-esteem. And also what we're going to talk a little bit about today, which is uh, chronic illness and chronic pain management. So this is interesting, right? Because we think of like chronic pain, chronic illness are physical, not necessarily psychotherapeutic problems. How did you get into that? Like what, why did that become your focus or an interest of yours? Well, this is a little um, personal to me. And I think I'm okay to say that also my part business partner has some similar sort of background history, medical background history. Um, I've been dealing with my own personal sort of chronic illnesses and pain management and um, for a very long time, actually. So I had to figure some things out for myself and, and there's a lot that goes into it. Um, we start seeing ourselves differently and we don't want to accept what is happening. And, and it's it changes our entire world or it can change our entire world. So then where do we go from here, right? So there's so many moving parts when something like that happens to our bodies that it cannot not affect the way we see ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, with, and then so you, you started to focus. So we often start with a personal story or a personal connection to a certain condition or concern that people have. And then we we might do our own research or think of how we might solve the problem for ourselves. And then we end up attracting clients because you accumulate so much knowledge and experience. You end up attracting clients who are suffering in a similar, in a similar way. That's so true, right? We start relating in a, in a different way or you, you become passionate or, or excited because you've had to experience it. So then you can also see the benefits of some of these practices that you put into place for yourself, right? And see the reward. And then you obviously want to share that with other people. Yeah. I mean, d- did it feel when you were going through what you're going through, was it hard to find practitioners or people around you that could really identify and and empathize with what you were going through. It's hard to do that if you haven't experienced it because it's so all encompassing. Yeah. I, my experience was similar to other experiences that I hear. And that is that um, when you go in first and say sort of, I'm feeling this to your GP or doctor, um, it seems, and, and I shouldn't say that it is, but it seems more dismissed, right? Because the, by the time all of the tests get done to finally get to the conclusion, you're now experiencing far more than when you first came in for. Um, And it's scary. It's Mm -hmm. absolutely scary. It's, um, you know, world shattering for your own self because you're in this uncertainty. Um, What do you do now? Where are you? What does your future look like? What does your even present look like with this new information? And for me, it's happened a few times in my life. Um, so, um, for example, when I was 17, um, it took about two months to be diagnosed with a pseudotumor cerebri in my brain and it was causing migraines and headaches. And so when I went to the doctor, of course, it's, well, you know, you're in high school and you're, and you're almost finishing up. So you must be stressed and makes sense. We do get tension headaches and there was nothing to be seen. And so by the time, 
I was looked at seriously. I was seeing double and I, I was really sick the moment that I got up um, out of bed. Um, and so then I was rushed to sick kids and, and now it became an emergency. Um, and so what does that look like now? Right. First, no one's listening to you. And now it's act now. Um, it, it, right. And something similar happened to me um, 10 years later where I had arterial blood clots in my legs and I was in the health and fitness industry. I was doing 15 fitness classes a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and here my legs were giving out and going numb. And, you know, I was told, well, you're working too hard. Of course, right. You're exerting your body and y- you kind of know your body, especially when you sort of go through something like this mm-hmm. intuitively, it just doesn't make sense sometimes when someone says something. And so to, to push that and, and sure enough, I guess, and, um, you know, help me and, and nothing gets done. You go to neurologists, you go to hematologists, you go to a bunch of different doctors and, and the pieces may not add up and you know that something's going on. And so again, a year and a half of pain and legs being numb and not being able to sleep because of this excruciating pain at night, um, you know, then something finally gets done and then there's a rush. And then what does this mean for the rest of my life? Right. right. So things like that. Yeah. yeah it's, it's interesting. Cause, um, I have a colleague who, uh, she has this story. It's so it's a motivational story about if you're on an airplane and you're feeling nervous, like something's happening on the airplane, like it's kind of shaking, look at the pilot. And if the pilot seems calm, you know, everything's <laughs> fine. Or the stewardess, yeah. look at the stewardess, the pilot, they know yeah. when something's wrong. And it's almost what you're describing is you're, you're not being hurt. It's almost like you're yelling at the, or you're saying to the stewardess, are we okay? And she's like, what? Like, what are you talking about? I don't even feel the plane shaking right? It's all in your head or it's all kind of, it's almost like a, a, a like, and it can definitely be perceived. I can imagine of like blaming you like, oh, you're overworking or, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. a lot mm-hmm. of my patients get told, you know, you're, you're thin, you're young. There's this sort of thin ideal that gets infused into it. Absolutely. So even when I was diagnosed with a pseudo tumor cerebrate, the first thing that each medical doctor said is, but you're not overweight. Right. So the typical patient that does have that is apparently overweight. Um, and it, it's not, you know, I, I, I currently have an amazing sort of team of medical doctors that I work with and, and I have found a really great crew that know the way I want to sort of approach my, my medical care and the way I want to approach my body. And so they work with me. Um, but it's often that if you don't see something, then it must be this, right? Right. And so that's, that's that disconnect. It's, they are absolute experts, um, but there's a sort of step-by-step guide for them. And we know our own selves, especially if you are in tune or you want to be in tune. And, um, you know, I was meditating by the age of 17. That was really important to me to get in tune with my own self and what that looked like. And so it just, I knew it didn't make sense. So I didn't take their word for it. I was but I wanted to sort of find that connect. Well, if I'm feeling this and you're saying that's just this, that doesn't make sense to me. So I wanted to sort of advocate that doesn't make sense to me. So what else could it be? Mm-hmm. Um, and now I have the medical care that does listen in that way. Right. Like, yeah. It's, it's a, it's a painful process that you're describing though, to, to come to that place where now there's a diagnosis, there's an explanation for what's happening. There are solutions and treatments and a team to help you and, in that process, there's a lot of not being heard, a lot of 
needing to advocate for yourself, mm-hmm. a skill that, I mean, why would we have that skill, right? Unless you have studied medicine yourself, it's really difficult to even know what questions to ask. You know, even if you know what questions to ask, it's hard to take advantage of the short amount of time that we often have with specialists and and ask those questions, get the attention of the person. There's a lot of things happening. It's very overwhelming. And I mean, I broke my foot in the summer and you're waiting, you're waiting a couple hours to see the orthopedic surgeon for a checkup. Yeah. In my head, I would recite, I wanted to ask three things. Can I drive? Can I surf, you know, and can I wear, do I have to wear my boot to bed? Very practical questions that you're left to deal with the uncertainty of for weeks while you're by yourself at home. So Mm -hmm. I have these questions in my head and then, uh, and then he would explain things to me, show me the x-rays, talk about where I was at in terms of the healing process. And then I would forget my questions and I'm, and I'm a health professional. I know what to ask. I know how to obtain my own informed consent. And so it's very overwhelming for so many people, especially with a chronic complicated condition. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and uh, so you start writing it down before, right? Because there's also an element of being excited with the information that you might hear or overwhelmed, depending on what Mm -hmm. information is that is, is given. And so, yeah, um, those emotions in that one moment are so uh, full and so, you know, charged that, yeah, you kind of want to prepare for it beforehand. Um, but that's sort of a little bit what we're talking about today too, is the self-awareness component that, that psychotherapy can offer, um, and the sort of centering and the grounding and all of these components that can play a role in pain management illness, and also just managing these things. Yeah. Right. Because as we started the conversation, it starts off very biologically, right? I mean, if, if your legs are hurting and it's hard to use them, that's the primary concern, mm-hmm. right? It's like, I want to be able to use my legs. I want my, I want to feel normal again. I want to feel like myself again, Yeah, you know, and that's the number one problem. And mm-hmm. as you start to, but then we find that that's, that's not, that's no longer the only problem. Now there are these psychological responses mm-hmm. that start to pile on and so even when you get the diagnosis, there's a treatment, even if you're starting to feel better or learning to manage it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where does the psycho, the, the psychological, the emotional aspect come in? Maybe describe that journey, because I imagine when you're first going through these things, you probably weren't thinking, to, I mean, I, you said that you meditate. So you had this awareness of the, you know, the biopsychosocial, like you had this awareness of the, the mind body connection, but I wonder how, you know, it, it, it seems like you may not even have been thinking about the psychological and emotional aspect of what was going on as we, yeah. Right. Because it's so scary, right? So we absolutely look at the physical first and it seems to be the first sort of step, right? What is happening to me and what does that mean for my future? Right. Um, excuse me, in particular, what's going to change now, right? That is super scary because no one wants anything to change. So, um, you know, while I was also, you know, being diagnosed, I was training for a marathon. I just finished a half marathon and running was my sort of safe space where I would, you know, feel good. And I would, uh, that would be my self-care. I would, uh, lean on it to, to just sort of lose the stresses of the day. 
And now with this, I couldn't even walk up one flight of stairs without being in excruciating pain. Mm. Um, so it was such a, a difference. And, and all I wanted to do was do what I always did. Um, and so, yeah, the, the emotional part, there's so many different steps. First is accepting what is happening. And that, that sounds so easy and it is so difficult. Um, who wants to accept that something is going to change? Who wants to accept that something is going to be different and we're not going to necessarily like it. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, you want to almost, um, in particular when things settle and, there is a diagnosis in place and now you know what you are going to manage. You want to allow yourself to go through almost this uh, grieving process, hmm. right? I don't have the body that I had. I don't have that body that I had. And I would love to have the body that I had. And what does that mean to me? So for me, it meant I had to change my self-care. And of course, I didn't want to. I had to change my health goals, right? Running also meant that I was a certain sort of fit, right? Mm -hmm. So all of these things change. And we're now just talking about, you know, running. Uh, for those with Crohn's or colitis, it means I might not be able to get out of the house today. Mm -hmm. I might not be able to go to a restaurant that, you know, everyone's celebrating someone's birthday at. Um, so there's so many things to, to take into consideration and you have to grieve what was. It doesn't mean that you might not get there, but in order to accept where you're at, you have to let go of what was. Even in those, even in those moments, like if you suffer from migraines, you may, there might be a grieving process that occurs on a day when you had a, a different plan and had to stay home instead, yeah, you know, and it, there, and what you're speaking of too, like this, this complete change in identity. If you're, if you're training for a marathon, that's a very different identity than I don't know if I can get up the stairs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How does, and, oh, mm -hmm. go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. And there's another element that it feels so lonely. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, you know, I, I, I remember cancel, not wanting to, but then having to cancel many plans and others not understanding that. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and not understanding the severity because sometimes it, there's no, um, when you're dealing with these things, it, it doesn't, it doesn't show on the outside, right? When you wear a cast, it shows, right? And you get the courtesy of others, empathy and uh, understanding. Um, but when it's an internal something that doesn't necessarily show, there isn't that much of an understanding or you get things like, oh, well, I thought you were doing better or, oh, well, that you're still dealing with that. When is that going to go away? Well, yeah, I think I'd like to know that too, right? Yeah. Um, so there's, there's a lot of that too. Like I would wear my air boot when I broke my foot. I'd wear it um, even when it was uncomfortable and it, it changes your gait and you're encouraged to get out of it. The, the way the bone healing is done these days is that you're supposed to be using your foot and getting back to your normal tasks of daily living as quickly as possible, as long as pain allows. It's very different from the six week in a cast type thing. Uh but I would put my air boot on when I went outside because people would steer clear of me. They would, they would be accepting of me walking more slowly. And so you're, you're extremely correct, right? If you're, if you're sort of trying to cope and nobody sees that struggle because you, your gait might look normal, it might just be a little bit slowed down. 
Mm-hmm. You might have ways that you're that you've learned to compensate and to adjust and mm-hmm. and adapt to certain tasks and things. And it, no one may witness or or notice that effort that goes yeah. into that. And there's something to be said about that validation, right? Yeah. Um, you know, to be seen and to be heard and to have some understanding of maybe you're not feeling that great. Maybe you're going through something right now and it's um, when you don't get it, it feels so lonely and it feels so hard. Right. So with like chronic pain and migraines, it's a, it's a perfect example, right? Like with a migraine, you might look completely fine. You might sound completely fine, but the amount of impairment is, is, it's sometimes insurmountable. Like it's sometimes excruciatingly uh, yeah. high, right? Um, and it's and really all you can kind of say to let other people know is I have a migraine. It's very hard to convey it, and yeah. we get the sense of how contained we are within our own bodies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We can share an experience with people. We can co-regulate with others. We can we can have these moments where we feel like we're almost this this one body, right. If you're laughing with somebody, if you're sharing something with someone, if you, if you have those, um, you have the same thought or you say the same thing out loud, but with pain and illness, it can feel so singular and so contained in just our own, our own experience and awareness. It's so true. And so what do you do with all of that? Mm -hmm. Right. If there isn't the outside understanding, if there isn't the, you know, us or seemingly or perceived space for you, then what do you do with all of this? Right. Um, And you want to run away from it, too. Like that is that that's just a natural feel. I don't want this. Mm -hmm. No, thank you. Right. But here I am having to deal with it. No one else see it feels like, right? And that's not necessarily the case. Um, but no one else gets it or no one else is around me is having to to now deal with this or manage this in the way that I'm doing. Um, so that the grief will also um give that at least self-validation, right? Like this is real, this is happening. Um, and you can get to that space where you begin to accept what is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and once you're there, then you can look at what it means to you. Right. Mm-hmm. And so if this is happening, I I I understand that I am not right now, right? We're not talking future because that can actually be really, really overwhelming. But right now, today, I am not what I was yesterday or last month or last year. Um, But what does that mean to me? Right. And what am I right now? What is that? How does that look different? Um, You know, does it mean that, yeah, I need extra sleep? Does it mean I need extra time uh, to get to places? Does it mean that I may need to change plans um, the moment that, you know, those plans are in play Um, and that might be okay right? That may not be me at my best, right? Maybe I'm someone that loves to keep plans and, uh, you know, I'm the reliable type and and here I am now, I can't be. Mm-hmm. Um, so things like that. And so you begin to, um, you know, look at where you're at and look at how you see yourself. How did this play on your sense of self? What is this taking away from you? What is this putting on your shoulders. So you get a really good landscape of what's happening in the here and now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's like a, an, an honest or a, a sober evaluation of, of the reality 
it seems like those two, like acceptance and this um, evaluation stage kind of come together, right? Like without accepting, if we're, acceptance is so tricky though, right? It's, it's, it's one word you can easily say, but I imagine, and maybe this is true in your story, that acceptance is a journey of perhaps years. To get to acceptance, absolutely. And everyone is different. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can't be rushed and it can't come from the outside mm-hmm. because it will come from the outside far faster than is, and I'm going to use this word intentionally fair, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So everyone wants for you to be, to accept it. Everyone wants for you to get to a certain space and place. Um, but if you can't get there, you can't get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't have to because grief is real. Um, you know, that resistance to what's happening is real and we have to honor that we have to, um, sit in that and allow the process or else we can't even get to acceptance. So yeah, that can take a very long time for sure. Are there other tools or things that you'll, that you'll help a client with to get to acceptance or things that worked for you? Um, yeah. Or is it more of a process of just observing resistance, trying to let it go. Yeah. It's a process. It's um, also for the client being heard, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, tell me how it is for you. Tell me your experiences right now. You know, in therapy, you have this space to share what it is. And, you know, it, it, it's not for me to say, okay, now let's do this about it. It's, it must be awful and tell me more. And what does that mean to you? Right. How does that feel? Um, what did you used to do? What was that like for you? How did that feel for you? What did that mean to you? And, and let's explore that. And so what are you saying goodbye to? Mm -hmm. What are you saying goodbye to? What does that mean to you? And and maybe I, maybe I also want you to witness who I was properly. Like maybe I want you to really understand that I was training for a marathon. You would have seen me as somebody who was extremely fit and physically capable and, you know, and um, who had all the running gear and knew all the things. And, and so I need you to also witness that reality, even if that's no longer the present reality. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We still are what we were, right? We mm. can, if that means something to us. And because we can't do it, it can still be a part of us, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, and you see, you know, like you said, nobody wants to change, but mm-hmm. in some ways change is inevitable. And we all will age. We all are no longer able to do physically things that we once did, but it's usually a gradual, for, for many, it's a gradual process but with chronic pain, chronic illness, it can be a sudden change. And that perhaps is really painful because there's a a distinct time and place when identity rapidly changed. You know, it's not like a, you know, a a 90 year old surfer who said, Oh, I used to be a pro when I was in my thirties. It's somebody who um, all of a sudden now their complete identity shift in a, in a, in a relatively short amount of time. And we also have pre-existing ideas of what that might look like, right? Mm -hmm. So a 20-year-old doesn't take 30 minutes to get out of bed. Mm -hmm. An 80-year-old might, and that's okay for the 80-year-old, according to society, but not necessarily for the 20-year-old, right? Right. Um, And so that's a bit of a a shock as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So getting around these ideals and these ideas and what we want versus where we're at, that takes a long time. Or the shoulds. Shoulds. In our in our last podcast with with Andra, we talked about the the energy of should and how mm-hmm. you know it's something that we all have these thoughts about should, right? It's it's a comparison of what isn't and what our ideal might be or our expectation and and perhaps identifying them when they come up and then spending the time to kind of untangle and question those could be helpful yeah so for for this chronic illness and chronic pain among other things i should means i didn't right mm-hmm. i should do this means i didn't or i can't Mm-hmm. Um, therefore leading to disappointment and frustration. Um, and there is a lot of disappointment and frustration with chronic pain. Absolutely. Um, it's frustrating. When is this going to go away? Um, yeah. Right. And if we're, we're waiting for that, um, that's even harder. That's even harder. Mm-hmm. Okay. I can't live again until it's gone. Kind of right. Thing. Yeah. Right. And what if that doesn't happen? Mm. What if that doesn't happen, right? And there's a little bit of a mindfulness component of pulling into the what's going on right now, mm-hmm. right? Um, waiting for, you know, we just spoke about waiting for it to be gone. Another one is um, sitting in or living with the, it's never going to get better. We don't know that either, mm-hmm. right? So what do we know right now, right? What do we know right now? What are we working with right now? Mm-hmm. And kind of staying in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so like, as we talk, right, it becomes so uh, apparent how important it is to have a psychotherapist or somebody, a counselor who can sit with the, with the emotional and, and the mental content, because the truth is that even if you have a wonderful team of, of medical practitioners, specialists, mm-hmm. they're their job is to, you know, focus on the what, right? What's going wrong? What can we do to fix it? What's the prognosis? Not really to bear witness. I mean, if you, and the the time, the amount of time is also contained, right? And a lot needs to get done in that time. And there's a specific focus and goal. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that, that tends to be our, our default state when we think of physical care and treating a a chronic illness Mm -hmm. or chronic pain. Mm -hmm. And, and yet there's so many aspects to healing that yeah. are not addressed. And so I think this is highlighting the need to, to just help someone with the process of acceptance. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, yeah, I was just going to say that um, a lot of us will try and, and work through that or, or maybe get some validation from the medical pra- practitioners. And it's not that they're not trained in it, but it's that, it's difficult if you're trying to teach somebody, you know, how to walk again or how to take their medication. And then these other elements start to enter into the conversation mm-hmm. that I can really understand the practitioners need to kind of, okay, let's get back on track and talk yes. about the physical. And that Absolutely. can be completely invalidating, right? Absolutely. Although it may not meant be meant to be invalidating. Yeah. No intention there to invalidate, but absolutely. So you're right. If the focus and their the medical practitioner's focus is on the physical, then we got to get to the physical. Um, I, I think a lot of medical practitioners are coming around to say, you know, there's a lot here. Yeah. 
So, yeah. um, you know, advisable or, and I, you know, it seems that they're encouraging more and more to seek therapy when there are these drastic changes in, in someone's life, right. um, to navigate all of that. Um, because you're right that that can't happen maybe in the, you know, medical room or setting yourself up physically, um, because there's so much here and you notice we're, we're going almost from one, one point to the next, which also happens in the therapy room, because even though there's sort of somewhat steps to it, you know, right. You know, if I were to lay it out to you, let's say, for example, I would say, well, for chronic pain management and chronic illness, you will have to feel the internal validation and grieve that loss. Mm -hmm. um, and then you'll have to become sort of self-aware and learn your internal processes and what that means to you. Right. So that would be kind of step two. And then the third step would be to build from where you're at now. Mm -hmm. But even though I lay it out like that, you go back and forth a little, right. right? Because there's so many moving parts that, you know, some awareness may, may uh, require some more additional grieving in this mm. way. Right. At the same time, then building from where you are may start even when the other two pieces aren't fully sort of complete. Right. Mm. Because that building where you are will allow for you to begin to accept more easily as well. Yeah. So we go a little bit back and forth, but the steps where I to line it out would be somewhat loosely, like I, I mentioned. Yeah. Cause it all comes at us at once. Mm -hmm. Right. And we don't even know, oh, okay, this is the questions for my medical doctor. I'm going to go hire a therapist to work with, to address the physical. It's not, we don't experience it necessarily like that. It just comes at us all at once. Like your future flashes before your eyes, your past, your, it's everything all yeah. together. And so part of the process of healing too, is, st is starting to untangle. I could tell mm -hmm. patients, the analogy of the puzzle piece, like being able to, to in some way kind of, um, put the pieces on the table to be able to, okay, mm -hmm. what's first now. And, and that's part of having a, a practitioner a therapist help is that there's a person that can hold space and help you help you contain what's happening and help you, um, e examine the pieces and work with them and work in a stepwise fashion with, with, without being too rigid, like we might go back, we might go forth, but at least there's some context for what's happening. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And while we're doing all that, we want to navigate the anxiety and depressive symptoms that may come along with it all. Right. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And so there are, you know, psychotherapeutic tools for that, that are really helpful. Um, and in particular for um, pain man management, I noticed that mindfulness is quite effective, right? Um, because everything that we spoke about to this point is a lot, right? Yeah. And so if we were to sort of manifest it in physical form, sort of, I, I like to say it might look like this big, right? maybe it's this big, maybe it's this big, everything that we sort of shared, right? I'm dealing with this. I'm dealing with the doctors. I have medical appointment after medical appointment. I don't know what this means for me. I've got many questions, right? If we were to create something physical, it might look like this, but then we have so many other thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. Because this is happening, I'm not going to live the life I want to. And all of a sudden this becomes like this. Mm -hmm. And then we have another thought, 
I'll never be the same. And this becomes this. And then we have another thought, something like, um, I won't be loved the same way because now I'm different. And this becomes this and it grows. And all of these judgments add on to it, creating more anxiety and more depressive symptoms. Mm -hmm. And so we want to peel those judgments down because it's more than enough Mm -hmm. dealing with this. Mm-hmm. Right. So we kind of want to contain that. So this has its own other work and element. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I love mindf- mindfulness. I mean, uh, in, in, um, in sort of those secular eight week programs, like MBCT, mm-hmm. I have training in, um, so for mindfulness based cognitive therapy, but then there's also mindfulness based stress reduction MBSR. they, there's always a step of like parsing like what are our thoughts? What are our beliefs? What are, or sorry, thoughts, behaviors, body sensations, and emotions. And even just separating that out can give us a little bit of, um, put us in a bit of a witness stance of, Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. I'm having a thought of I'll never be loved the same. Wow. Right. That's, that's something a little bit separate from the physical. I can still validate and acknowledge it, but I don't need to necessarily identify it as a capital T truth. Well, that's exactly it, right? So once we um, preface it with, I'm having a thought, what we're doing is we're saying, these are my thoughts. And that's a lot. But are they facts on the here and now? Is it true that you're not loved? Well, I don't know. Hmm. I feel like I'm not. I, I, I think I'm not. But is that true, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'll never be able to play this sport again, or I'll never be able to go to the restaurant that I love again. Um, I'm having a thought that I'll never be able to play this sport. I'm having a thought that I'll never be able to go to the restaurant. Is that true? Well, maybe for today you won't go or you won't risk going, but is that true, right? Well, it's more that I'm having these thoughts. And so now let's work with your thoughts and let's work with the, f- the feelings that you have about this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But let's separate it from the truth. Yeah, mm-hmm. a-, a little bit, right? Because once we say, I won't, and it feels like truth, that is really hurtful, right? That feels that we're, we get stuck in that. We get really, really stuck in that. Um, and we don't know what to do because that isn't the, necessarily the truth. Mm-hmm. So then where do you go with that? Well, let's, as you say, parse it out. Let's pull it out. Let's place it where it really is in our thoughts, right? Let's place our feelings here, right? Mm-hmm. Let's place our sensations here. And let's look at the facts. What do we have to work with? What is that foundation that we're, we're sitting on? What, what foundation are our thoughts sitting on? What foundation are our feelings sitting on? What foundation are our sensations sitting on? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How does it kind of go down, go deeper? Yeah. And then mindfulness has the, the, the beautiful as- aspect of being able to investigate body sensations, mm-hmm. um, which can be extremely powerful, especially the thing with mindfulness, it's, it's, you know, when we speak of it, it's like, it's a, it's, it's a great tool. And we often expect maybe like weight training that you'll be good at it right away, you know? Uh Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's not the case. It's definitely, it's a skill to become skilled at, but, but it has the potential of allowing us to observe from a little bit of a distance, the body sensations, which, you know, for, for my, when I was, when I was taking a facilitator training for MBCT, I had, there was a specialist in my group. It was interesting because it was a combination of different medical professionals at this five-day retreat. Um, And one of them was a 
migraine specialist at Columbia University. And and she wasn't, she was like getting to know mindfulness as a practice, but this was something she, she was like, I need a tool for my patients because the truth of the matter is there is no cure for migraines. As a naturopathic doctor, we can look at, you know, where, what are some of the um, potential root causes? Can we address some of those? People can heal from them physically, but what happens if you're still getting them? How do you develop a relationship with the pain to lessen suffering, which might be different than I feel fantastic. I'm going to go to my favorite restaurant. You might still be lying on the couch with a cold thing over your eyes, Mm -hmm. but, but what about the suffering Mm -hmm. and which is different from pain Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, as a sensation, pain as a, as a physical sensation. Um, Yeah. Maybe you could speak a little bit to that. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, and yet we feel it all together. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And so what often happens is the pain becomes amplified with our anxieties towards the pain. Mm -hmm. Right. And Mm -hmm. so similar to the, you know, if we were to contain it here, well, all of our, um, you know, if we were to sort of, again, manifest our pain and it would look like this for some like this, like this on different days as well. Right. Like this. Um, then we have some fears about it. This means that I'm going to have to sit on the couch. And all of a sudden the pain becomes bigger within the fear because it all gets sort of meshed together and the overwhelm. And so we're not actually, again, seeing just the sensations. It all feels a lot. Mm -hmm. It all feels painful and it all feels overwhelming. So when we, again, take out those judgments and look at the pain, or if we find a way to contain the pain by really going into our sensations and saying, okay, well, where is it, right? How does it feel um, for a migraine? Where, where do I really Mm -hmm. feel it and go into it? Then we can sort of contain it. Mm -hmm. It stays there. Whereas I have a migraine, I've had it for you know, I've suffered all my life with migraines here. I am again, and it's going to come back. It takes over our entire body. Exactly. Yeah. And and more, it goes outside and of the body more. into the, into yeah. our environmental sphere. Yeah. And yeah. then if you implement, yeah, I think I, I tell this story a lot in my podcast because it was a very um, rewiring kind of experience, but I was at a 10 day Vipassana retreat. So a silent meditation retreat, mm-hmm. which is extremely like part of the practice is to induce pain. It's extremely uncomfortable. You're sitting cross-legged four hours on end mm-hmm. in total 12 hours. And there's a point in the process. Have you done one? Have you done it? It's on my list. Yeah. yeah I'll wait for my son to get a little older. And <laughs> when yeah. you, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a commitment because you're yeah. essentially MIA for 12 yeah. days, but um, you know, when you're, I mean, part of it is to create discom- physical discomfort and then to, and then at a certain point in the practice is about day three, you're no longer allowed to fidget or move. You mm-hmm. can move your upper body, but hands and legs, mm-hmm. like arms and legs have to be still mm-hmm. for hours at a time. Then there's a 10 minute break, then you go back. And mm-hmm. that, so there was this moment when I'm sitting cross-legged and there's just horrific pain and tension in my body. Um, which is hard to describe, but it felt like I'm, I'm ruining my joints. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I, I was in my mind imagining my kneecaps kind of like oh. getting wrecked. Yeah. And like, I'm, I'm doing damage to my body. Pain is a signal that you need to 
adjust your posture. You need to respond to pain. That's what pain's job is. Mm-hmm. So all my biases and frames as a naturopath, I can like see the, phys- the, the <laughs> anatomy of my knee and my brain. Right. Yeah. Uh, and because of this sort of scientific training, it's true. Right. Of course, of course, like these are not, these are, um, they're, it's not, it's hard to identify those as some, as mere thoughts mm-hmm. because they're based in so much training and so much worldview. For me, it was like, this is, this is a fact. This mm-hmm. isn't even something I can, mm-hmm. I can, um, I can contest or I can reframe, like I'm damaging my knee end of period. And, um, and so there was this sort of tension in my body, this, this, this desperation for it to be over tons of stories happening. Like we, what, like you were describing just a big Mm -hmm. ball, a a large space filled with all of this content. And then eventually the gong went off and I stood up and I felt completely fine. (laughs) It completely, I stood up and I was walking, I'm like, my knees don't, it was complete. And, and so I'm like, oh, okay. So that story didn't make any sense. You know, normally if I, if I meditate for 20 minutes, let's say my knees, my, my legs fall asleep. But the, in this case, there was none of that. It was completely fine. Mm-hmm. I took my 10 minute break and I went and sat down again and, and something shifted where I just observed the sensations as sensations. It, I didn't even call them pain and they could be mm-hmm. labeled pain. They weren't pleasant sensations. There was an intensity there, but, but to really almost like ride the wave and, and watch it come ebb and flow. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not saying maybe, maybe my discomfort was a six or seven out of 10. I mean, when it's a nine, when it comes at you, I was in a context of silent meditation, right? There was little input. So it's just me and my legs, you know? (laughs) And so that's very different. And, you know, from pain when you're in, when you're in a world where there's lots of input coming in and then you have a nine out of 10 or a 10 out of 10 or 11 out of 10 sensation in your body. Right. So, and then, and then there's this uh, grief of not being able to do things, whether it's that day or year in your life. So this is obviously a contained situation, but seeing those sensations in my legs that just a few minutes before I would have called excruciating, damaging pain, it, it completely changed the frame and the, and the context for it. Mm-hmm. It didn't, I, I no longer, there was this bracing against that I was experiencing the hour before that was creating, you could feel the tension as you're trying to, yeah. to anticipate when a sensation is going to come and somehow neutralize it, but it creates more tension. Mm-hmm. In this second sitting, I just let it be. And it was it was really a, a life-changing experience because it taught me, you know, pain is, I mean, pain is a sensation in our brain. You know, without a brain, we can't feel pain. Pain mm-hmm. comes from the, 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 the body and, and communicates with our brain and our brain tells us what's happening. But to realize the amount of um, additional input from my brain that created pain, that took a sensation and created the experience of pain and suffering mm-hmm. was really, wow, that, that really changed yeah. how I saw things. And, and I tried to take that to like a migraine or to different experiences. And it's, again, it's not exactly the same as when you're sitting in this, yeah. this meditation context, but to watch uh, to, to have a migraine go from your entire sphere, from the, from filling the entire room, let's say, 
Yeah. So becoming a maybe inch and a half ball yeah. behind your left eye that yeah. sometimes completely goes away yeah. and then throbs and mm-hmm. then goes away mm-hmm. and sometimes goes completely away yeah. and then comes back. That's a, a completely different experience. Absolutely. And it's enough that that's there. It's enough that we have this pain here or pain in the knees. We, um, and that's sort of what we work on. We're working to not add to it, right? Mm -hmm. Not add to it or strip away what our, our minds have added onto the actual pain or illness. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and, um, you know, digestive issues, are really affected by anxiety. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so um, if we're talking Crohn's, colitis, IBS, um, we want to manage those fears, right? Mm-hmm. Those biases, those judgments on what's happening um, because then it is far more manageable as well. It may not be as manageable as we want it to be yet, um, but we don't, want to add more to the existing issue. Right. Right. It's hard in in our language to describe it because when we say, like, I'm even sort of, you know, thinking what a patient might say or Mm -hmm. what I, how even I might. So I have Crohn's let's say, and I recognize that my stress and anxiety Mm -hmm. is adding to it. Yeah but almost in wanting to change the stress and anxiety, I almost add more because now it becomes something that I want to manage or change. Yes. And it's this idea, I think of resistance or trying to, to act on something when maybe the truth is to, to relax and and let be. And because to think about my stress is contributing to my Crohn's adds more stress. It does also to try to relax adds more stress. So rather than sort of adding on another element of wanting to manage, we first want to sort of strip away, right? We want to strip away the already existing fears. Um, We want to strip away the stress. So that looks different than trying to manage the stress. Yes. Right. So what does that look like? What would it feel like? And it is, um, you know, I would not ever, um, and I've been diagnosed with IBS and possibly undiagnosed or tentative colitis, right? So I, this is, this is sort of hitting home as well. And so don't tell me to relax when all of this is really aggravating and it's very, I don't know what to do with this. And, um, you know, so, um, it's not about that. It's about what else is happening here? How are you feeling about it? Wow. Right. So, and then when you feel that, what does that do? Right. Mm-hmm. So you're really outlining, well, when I do get scared, then, then I'm definitely not leaving the house in the morning. Right. right. Um, things like right. that. And so, oh, okay. So what does that look like? And when you are able to leave the house, what does that look like? And how can you get there? So you're working with the individual, you're working with all of these things, but absolutely you're not adding something on or saying that you need to get to a certain place. Right. right? Mm-hmm. So um, the, the goal more than, you know, 
uh, not being anxious is to work with where the individual is at, what they've got going and what would be more helpful. Mm-hmm. You sort of see the difference. It's almost mm-hmm. like we're stripping away instead of adding on. Mm-hmm. Um, if pressure, stress, anxiety, fear has aggravated the existing issue, we most definitely want to keep away from adding any more stress, anxiety, fear, right? Yeah. That's yeah, that's a good way. It's hard with with language, you know, and this is why we have long sessions, hold space, because it becomes easier to convey these concepts because through language it's difficult to under you know stress can aggravate your Crohn's and it's like a lot of people will hear that read that I gotta I gotta focus I gotta fix my stress that crazy and and it's you know and so to really frame and model and and teach what we're actually talking about (laughs) which is yeah sorry I cut you off but no go ahead it also sometimes create blame, creates blame, right. excuse me, yes. right? Um, you know, I'm doing this to myself. I, I, I can't be, I don't want this, right? Mm-hmm. How am I doing this? That's, I don't want to do this to myself. And well, you're not, mm-hmm. it's your body's response, your, your thought response to the situation, mm-hmm. right? So let's look at that response and how, if, can we find a more helpful response mm-hmm. um, after a lot of acceptance, of course. Right. Um, but it's, there's no blame here. You're not doing this to yourself. You're also not creating it. There has been an, there is an existing Mm -hmm. issue. So again, we don't want to invalidate, right. Mm -hmm. It's not because you were stressed that this is happening. Mm -hmm. This has happened. These, these stress may aggravate it. So we're going to work with both. Mm -hmm. We're going to look at both and where are we with each. And now how do they work together? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So really sort of, again, pulling apart and seeing all these moving parts for what they are. Yeah. And and this maybe is a good time to move because on the one hand, it, something has happened to us. You know, we are a victim of circumstance and we didn't choose what's happening. And then on the other hand, or maybe not even on the other hand, but part of that. And there's a, you know, it's helpful and probably preferable to step into some sort of empowerment, empowered stance around whether that be, you know, all of the stages that you described, right? Acceptance is a a bit of an an active stance. Mm -hmm. Again, active, Mm. right? It has (laughs) this very like goal-driven, like I'm going to fix it. It's, but it, it requires an, an, an attitude and a, and a choice. Mm-hmm. Um, so back to this idea of choice, like from the last podcast. Um, mm-hmm. So there's these sort of two, and I can see almost like a, like a focal lens, like on the one hand, I, I, I need to be validated for mm-hmm. what I didn't choose and what's beyond, mm-hmm. what's not my fault, mm-hmm. what's beyond my control. And then on the other hand, I recognize that there are things that I can do, let's, let's say, you know, I don't, I don't love that, that, that choice of words, but there are things that, that in, in, in order to manage this, like you talked about, like, whether that be reframing my daily tasks, understanding how to live with yes. um, that, you know, yeah, maybe you can describe, cause there's an art in doing both in, in validating, recognizing mm-hmm. when someone's mm-hmm ready to move into more of an empowered stance, but yeah, it's a tricky, it's a tricky one because we, 
it's hard to hold both those at once. Yeah. Um, you're right. So the pre-work is the sort of the grief, right? We've, we've explored that and we touch on it again, back and forth. We don't have to move from it and never come back to it. There's the acceptance component, which, um, is a lot. So we sort of come in and out of that too, but once there's a significant sort of foundation of acceptance, then you're right. We get to that, Now, where do we go from here? Mm -hmm. Right. So we've explored our thoughts. We've explored through a mindfulness lens, our thoughts, our feelings, our sensations. We may have practiced non-judgment on it. So our sort of uh, pain is contained to degree. Of course, it, you know, our minds don't always work. You know, once we learn something, it doesn't always automatically just happen that way, right? It's it's a nice wavy ride, right? And so we'll some days we'll be better than others, but for the most part, right? We've now sort of contained the um, when I say contained, like um, the the pain or the illness, right? We've we've worked on, we've practiced, we've explored all of the fears, the anxieties, the the thoughts that we put onto it, the biases that we put onto it the empowering sort of, although I agree with you, it's all sort of empowering the, the third is, well, now what do we do? Right. Right. Here we are. It doesn't mean we're going to be here forever, but today here Mm -hmm. we are. Mm -hmm. So what are we going to do? Yeah. What do we want to do? Um, what, you know, you, you wanted to sort of stay away from what, what can we do? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's, there's also, an empowering um, element of knowing how much we can handle. Right. Um, where before we were workaholics and we worked for 12 plus hours a day, we might not be able to do that right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've accepted that we might not be able to do that right now. So what can we do? What does yeah. today look like? What does our day look like? What does our, um, you know, our, our enjoyments now look like if I can't run 12k today um, what might my enjoyment look like so let's reshift let's refocus let's look at where you're at and let's give you what you want to feel um, where you want to go to Um, and that's the fun part right Right. so um, it 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 takes away I I like to think of it as it, it it's taken away enough it takes away a lot um, are you ready to look at what else there is? What else mm-hmm. there is that we can look at? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and so we start building from there, mm-hmm. um, taking some own ownership and a little bit of what we can um, do, or if not ownership, responsibility. Right? Can I do this for myself? Right? Can I care for myself? Can I give something to myself? Can I spend time with family. Can what can what what do I want this to look like? Right. Um, and start taking control of what we have control over. It seems like 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 going down into the realm of values is probably a good foundation to build from because you know I'm a person that values physical fitness. I can't run 12k. So what am I able to do to still live and and be influenced by that value or express that value. Is yeah. it, you know, doing yeah. my physio? Is it my, you know, yeah. um, working with my own, with my capabilities in this moment every day. And that might just be lying on the couch if that's what my body's asking, yeah. but it, it's helping to 
almost map that out and to mm-hmm. and to articulate that in a way that look might look different from what we assumed mm-hmm. physical fitness or physical um mm-hmm. strength let's say looked like yes exactly and it's not equal to mm-hmm. it, we're not looking for the equal i'm uh-huh. uh whatever i choose will not maybe give me all of what running gave me mm-hmm. um but will something give me something else? Yeah. Will I feel somewhat or what, what will I find that will, you know, substitute in that will give me something? What might that look like? Um, and, and go from there. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a good so point. Work, yeah. You're working with who you are now because mm-hmm. we're always working with who we are. That's all we've got. Right. right. So when I was running 12K, I was working with that person that was able to run 12K. Mm-hmm. Um, today, I'm working with the person that cannot run 12K, but found a new interest in, you know, cycling or, mm-hmm. right, um, I'm able to walk. So walk my dog however many, you know, hours in the day or whatever it is, right? But mm-hmm. um, it's a different version, Um, but it doesn't have to be a worse version. It doesn't have to be something that isn't fun, that isn't enjoyable, that isn't, you know, of value. It reminds me too, you know, of of the pivot that we've had to make in the last couple of years too. Mm -hmm. So for example, I had um, a patient who had a job that required a lot of travel. So this Mm -hmm. person was used to spending many days out of a month in different countries and traveling here and there. And this person was also um, had had the goal and value of, of physical fitness and being fit. Mm-hmm. So they so they would go to the gym, and there's a social community there. Mm-hmm. And then with some of the the, the more intense lockdowns, um, this person was was doing Peloton, something you know, so that like which a lot of people got into, which yeah. is wonderful. So Peloton it fills the role of physical fitness, and there is a little bit of community. Mm-hmm. And then as we started to have a conversation and talked about what this person was missing, you know, one of my suggestions was to go for walks outside because this, this need for exploration and expansion, mm-hmm. right? So the walk is not as intense physical fitness as a Peloton. Mm-hmm. So it's not exactly the same. And a walk is not the same as traveling to London, England <laughs> a couple of times. Right. A month. <laughs> That's not the same either. Yeah. But even archetypally, this need to expand the immediate surroundings. And so it was almost like figuring out, but without this deeper contemplation conversation, it wasn't apparent. It was like, okay, well, Peloton, and I'm going to wait this out, Yeah, which is also a choice and, and also reasonable uh, strategy. But it was like, but we found out, you know, what you're missing is some sort of expansion. So you can even imagine if you can't walk, mm-hmm. being able to somehow navigate, having someone drive you around, that might be a need. Mm-hmm. That doesn't look like going for a 12 K run, mm-hmm. but what was the run adding to your life? Like was it, it obviously represents more than just cardiovascular exercise. Yeah. And what was the important part of that or com- important components? How do we, how do we, how do we meet those needs in exactly. a different way? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like your example because it's not identical, but you're um, you know, I spoke about working with who you are. 
um, you also have to work with what you've got, right. which is um, not easy to do these last two years, um, you know, and so we are restricted and limited. Um, mm. And that's not fun. I'm not going to say, oh, well, just find something else because yeah. it kind of sucks, right? Mm-hmm. It really does. And for everyone that needs to alter and shift, it it does, right? So that's that acceptance piece too, right? That yeah. And that validation, it's, it's no fun. I hear you. It's no fun. Um, and for you, what does that mean? Right. What aren't, like you said, what aren't you getting? And if one activity, uh, gave you all of these pieces, knowing what pieces it gave you and finding it elsewhere, maybe not in the same place, but in bits here and there will give you something, yeah. um, because having something is better than nothing. Yeah. Right. right? Yeah. yeah. And it's like, yeah, what are the specific, it's like unpacking it, right? It's like, it's not just a run. It's, it's various things that it's no wonder that um, maybe cycling in your apartment basement doesn't feel the same and you don't really want to do it (laughs) the way that you wanted to run. So having some being able to, yeah, reframe it as like, let's, it's, it's not just a one-to-one replacement. There's other things that other needs that need to be met potentially. And, um, and how can we meet those? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And, and you also spoke like, you know, in, in these three categories, these three steps, I can imagine too, maybe on a first encounter, you're like, okay, we're going to, you know, in your mind as a therapist, you're thinking, okay, we're working with validation acceptance and that's happening. Mm-hmm. And the client's like, this is all great, but how am I going to eat dinner tonight? Like, I don't have the energy to cook and everybody needs to eat. And so there's these practical things that are going to come in pretty much immediately in many cases, I imagine, like, yeah. and how do we, how do we survive or how do we um, make it work in the immediate yeah. present? And, you know, that's a really good point too, because when things change, um, you want to start getting creative. Um, we get stuck in what we can't do. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I need to eat, or I used to be able to cook for myself. I can't cook right now. I can't cook. I'm hungry and I can't cook. And we get stuck in that. Right. Um, so yeah, I hear you. I I can imagine we all need to eat. I, I wouldn't want for you to get hungry. So what are some options here? What might that look like? Um, and listing them out You're we're starting to, you know, solution focus, we're starting to brainstorm. What are some other options here? Because yeah, in the end, eating is good. Right. Um, and so what might that look like? Um, and you know, and it's not about finding it for the rest of your life now. Yeah. How do you get, how do you get dinner done? Like, what are you eating tonight? Like, let's maybe yeah. focus on that. Yeah. yeah. Tomorrow we don't yet know, especially again, pulling back to chronic illness and chronic pain. Mm-hmm. We don't know yet how we're going to wake up. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. We don't, we don't know how much energy. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Spoonies theory. I think may, maybe if we go into it. Yeah. So with chronic Ill- and illness and chronic pain, Um, we talk about spoons and seeing our energy reserves as spoons, right? Uh Spoonfuls. Um, Some days we wake up and we have sort of 
three spoonfuls of energy. Um, and you can kind of get used to it when you're, when you're living with this, right? Some days it's one spoonful, some days it's five. And so on the five days, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling energy. And I feel like I can give, you know, I feel like I can go out to lunch with my friend. I feel like I can get these two tasks done. And I feel like I can probably finish this much homework, right? Mm -hmm. So there's my sort of five spoons on a two day spoon. I won't be able to do the same thing and that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Um, I So I'm going to choose to go out with my friend and get this homework done, right? And that's good. Now I'm working again with who I am. And so mm-hmm. I can't remember why I brought up this. Yeah, but <laughs> it's a good, it's a good thing because one thing that's very common, especially in fibromyalgia, is that the, the, the energy reserves, the spoons, I love the analogy, changes. And often what happens is if you typically need five spoons in a normal day mm-hmm. and you've had a run of two or three, there's a discrepancy. And so on the five spoon day, what many patients, which is a completely, uh, yeah. you know, sensical yeah. response is to spend 10 because yeah. we want to make up for the leftover yeah. or the, the, the missing things that hadn't gotten done. So there'll be this often this overextension and then, and so there is a practice of having someone journal their energy and their activities to, mm-hmm. to understand is overspending spoons contributing again, yeah. not blaming, but let's, yeah. let's look at the relationship, um, to, uh, to waking up the next morning with only two spoons or negative spoons or negative sometimes spoons, happens right? suffering yeah. for days after mm-hmm. overuse and because there are crash that happens is because we, we really want to just feel good again. So when you get five spoons, you're like, I'm back. Yeah. Let's just go back. Let's, let's make yeah. up for everything I've missed out on. Until you realize, and that's the learning process that it really is five spoons. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I'm refraining from using the word to just because five mm-hmm. spoons is great. Five spoons is five spoons. Yeah. Right. But it's not 10. Yeah. And it's not two. Mm-hmm. Right. So you're working, you're really working with that many. Yeah. yeah. And what, and how do you, yeah. Honor that in a sense and, yeah. and respect yeah. that. And again, it's, it's that should, it's like, it should be 10 should be five. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, it, that's, there's also something to, I don't, I haven't really looked at this from the, the perspective of chronic pain, chronic illness, but from the perspective of mental health is I think it it's, um, I forget his name. It's Guy Guy Ritchie. Is that, I don't know. He's a psychotherapist, psychologist, and um, he has a book called Emotional First Aid. And he talks about writing a have done list versus Mm -hmm. a to-do list to honor, because when we're looking from a should perspective, right? Like here's my to-do list. There's 15 items on it. Mm -hmm. I got done three. Mm-hmm. then we're, we're, it's very hard to feel successful yeah. In, yeah. from that perspective. But if there's a have done list, we honor, and not even from the, the aspect of like, let's look, let's look at what I did, but to honor a- achievements or almost to reflect on things that, that were done or were accomplished, or even if it's, I, watch four episodes of whatever on Netflix, there's some, there's some sort of honoring of I invested energy and did, and then we we have an opportunity to reflect on what we might've got out of that. 
mm-hmm. whether that was rest or a break or, mm-hmm. oh, I actually really enjoyed those episodes. Like it gave me an escape. It gave me some entertainment. Um, and so even that, for, maybe it's not writing a list, but having a frame like that of let's actually honor what I did do, mm. you know? Um, I, I think that's really powerful. And it's coming into one of my favorite words, which is intentional. Mm. Right. So I'm intentionally, I'm choosing to watch TV. You know, yeah. who said it, who said TV was bad, right? Yeah. What's wrong with TV? Yeah. Well, I'm choosing to watch TV and this is what I'm going to get out of it. Hopefully. Right. I intend to allow my body to rest. I intend to recover and recuperate from the long day. And I intend to spend time with family while I watch, right. There's intention there with watching TV. Um, and so I, I like to sort of think of it that way with everything that we do. Right. So, um, you get to decide and choose what is, you know, good or bad, if there is such a thing with these activities, um, rather than, you know, saying, you know, we often say I did nothing right. If we're watching TV, but that, that might not be true. Maybe you're watching TV and maybe, you're, you know, if you feel like TV isn't productive or isn't healthy, then you're going to see it as wrong or bad. And and that might not be the case when we shift the intention, right. And start really deciding what it is that we want to do. Yeah. It's like, you know, wasting time is an interesting, it's an interesting phrase because can we, we, we've spent it. We were there (laughs) when the time was going by, you know, it's not like, wasting food where nobody interacts or benefits from whatever got thrown away, you know? So we are, there is an intention, there is a benefit, there is a, there's something we derived from it. Um, Even if you're just lying there staring at the ceiling, there's something happening. There's a, there's a choice and a benefit, you know, I think when we think, when we say wasting time, there is an implied should, I should have been doing something else. Yeah. And it might be helpful to investigate that and to actually question if that's true, right? You know, yeah. okay, I should have been doing laundry. Well, you know, let's. There was yeah. a there was a, a, an internal pro con evaluation and based on what we were able to do and, and maybe what we needed. So mm-hmm. maybe yeah. you shouldn't have been doing laundry. Maybe you should have been watching Money Heist. <laughs> <laughs> right. In time, it, you know, our relationship with time is very interesting and we could, you know, mm-hmm. talk about this for a whole nother session because time is going to come and go, right? Yeah. Um, it's what are we doing within that that really causes us such sort of issues, whether it's guilt or frustration or, right? Um, and I remember being young and thinking time flies quickly. Yeah. Um, and at that time, everyone older than, than myself was saying that it just gets faster and faster. And isn't that ever true? Right. But we looked at, you know, what are those, those reasons? Time is just happening. Time is moving forward. It's what are we doing and and what is our relationship with time? That's Mm -hmm. a, that's a fun topic. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) Yeah. Because time is, I mean, the, the sense of scarcity of it is a big, is a big thing psychologically right yeah. and we're, we're a very time-oriented culture um yeah. yeah we are yeah i think one one other topic too that we we that we brought up a little bit before recording is this idea of trust in our bodies and that and i don't know i mean you know, i've had conversations with colleagues about this and they're and maybe this this trust in the body extends to 
fundamental level of trust that that people um, have have come to expect that may be influenced by by trauma, by early experiences, even intergenerational trauma. Mm-hmm. But it seems that it's it's hard for many of us to feel a sense of trust in the body that mm-hmm. that the body is capable of mm-hmm. healing or you know not even that because someone may be living with pain but still fundamentally trust mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the body and i don't mm-hmm. know if i'm articulating that properly right because it's 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 a very abstract thing you know it is, it is. and what comes to mind and you and i have had a very brief conversation before about uh, Michael Singer and I'm just listening to yeah. Michael Singer right now and he's coming and, up a lot recently got to reread him <laughs> it's the untethered job, soul right yeah the, the <laughs> surrender experiment is really something mm. but um so I, I'm listening to him and he is talking about the same in drawing attention to and we've heard this before but we often don't think of it is that our heart is beating without us actually being intentional to ensure that it beats and our digestive system is happening without our intention to say, okay, digest this and get those enzymes going. There's so many things that are happening internally that is happening without our conscious awareness to it. So we're, we don't have, we're not controlling any of it and yet it's Mm -hmm. happening and it's keeping us alive. And so you're right. And, and can we, trust that a little, right? Can we trust some of those things that are happening? And in addition to that, then can we, you know, self-awareness is quite powerful too. And and so can we start really um, drawing awareness to our sensations in our body, how we feel within our body? Can we start to really get to know our bodies so that we can trust it mm-hmm. as well and really get in tune with what's happening? Um, and work with that. And, and I think there's, there's some power in that too. And, and I'll go back to sort of how we were speaking um, when I introduced sort of my, my journey, I guess a little bit of my journey anyway, with the medical field is that you're, you're telling me that it must be stress, but this doesn't feel like the stress that I'm used to. So something is off. And what is, what is that? And we can only know that when we really do draw awareness and there's nothing scary about our body, draw awareness and become in tune with what exactly is happening as best we can. Um, in addition to those things that happen that we don't feel such as digestion and, right. and that type of thing. Right. Yeah. Like I remember in, I, maybe it was like grade 10 or something in biology class. I remember like imagine if I was responsible for remembering to breathe every time I needed oxygen. <laughs> Good thing what? my body doesn't. There, there's something else I'll, I'll say sometimes. Like our body doesn't necessarily trust us. If you hold your breath too long, you pass out, so that you are forced to breathe because your body's it. like, oh, this person's not 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 in control. <laughs> Thank you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It is true, and maybe that's that. I mean, there's many reasons why mindfulness focuses on the breath, especially when you're learning it but one of the realizations is that it it's happening without and one of the first things that when you're practicing mindfulness and focusing on the breath that one of the first things we do is try and and take hold of the breath your hand on and try and make it happen and then part of that is let's just just let it and it's you know again it just let your body breathe on its own is a doesn't necessarily have instructions with it on how to do that, but you start to 
to feel into and learn how that, how that is. And that actually, you know, I don't need to be watching my breath for it to happen. You're right. Um, Right. Right. With mindfulness uh, meditation, we're observing the breath. We're not controlling the breath. Um, It's happening. Now we're actually observing what that feels like to us. Right. And not only just in our chest, right. When we think, think of breath, we go to the chest, but how does it feel when it goes through our, our nose and what does it feel like? Is it a cool sensation? Then what does it do after that? And how does it get down into, how does that breath, you know, how how does the air move into our lungs? Like there's so many more sensations that we take for granted or we, we don't like to sort of look at. So what does that breath really feel like? And and then, you know, even with, with anxiety and panic, it's interesting, right? Because our breath and our heart rate will change. And it's when you're running, you expect your heart rate to change in a court. If it doesn't, then that's, that's scary. So mm-hmm. you want it to get faster to help you run. But when it's just happening while you're sitting, it's very scary, right? Maybe that also builds in a distrust or a, mm-hmm. a sense of being at the mercy of our physical sensations and our physiology, which is in some ways true, but yeah, I really like the application of mindfulness to start to, to roll with what's happening physically and to know that our body ultimately is in some way in the, in the driver's seat for, for a lot of these, these light, these life preserving mechanisms that we need that we're not consciously making sure our liver is working properly, that that's an impossibility. There's a sense of deferring and outsourcing your liver's function to whatever consciousness makes your liver work. Um, and that we can't control it, that it, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to look at, but we, yeah, that, that but it's difficult. You know, I, I think a big part of naturopathic medicine, we have that one of our principles is the, the V medic catches naturae, the healing power of nature. The idea that nature's got some sort of order or some sort of blueprint that it's following. And that if we align ourselves with that blueprint, then we experience health. And it doesn't mean running 12 K every day. Health could still be in the context of chronic disease, right? It could be in the context of palliative care. Can somebody heal while they're, you know, in a hospice? I mean, I think so, right? There's, there's different layers of we've, as we've been speaking of to healing. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's different, um, processes in the healing process, depending on life stage, right? Are, are there things that, that need to heal or that someone wants to heal mm. if they have a month to live, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that their physical body is cured and they're, you know, they're going to be like a 20 year old there, but, but healing and, and being in alignment with nature's blueprint, it seems like it begs a certain amount of trust and, and a certain amount of Mm-hmm. recognition that, that there's a flow to things. And, and I know it's, it's kind of metaphysical, right. And it's, um, it's, it's, uh, it's a certain worldview, right. It's a certain yeah. belief system, right. This, this sense of like this holism, yeah. uh, this holistic worldview, but, um, but it, it, it might be a useful frame. And the thing with mindfulness is that it doesn't necessarily require someone to take on a worldview. It's an experience that you have, in, obs- in observation. 
Absolutely. Uh, the, a significant portion of mindfulness is non-judgment, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so we're, we're, we're not judging anything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we are taking it as it is, right? And so um, whatever that is, what, what our thoughts are, we're taking as is. What our feelings are, we're taking as is. What the environment is, we're taking as is. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it can really, it lends itself to a lot of things. And the powerful, the power of that is that you know, in every moment, we do want as much information as we can get that's empowering, because then we can do something with that. And so mindfulness allows us to have all of that information. Mm-hmm. Um, in this moment, I have thoughts in this moment, I have feelings. In this moment, I have body sensations in every moment. Uh, sometimes we don't draw awareness to that. Uh, but it, it's still happening. It's still there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's this moment that continues to unfold, right? So what does that look like? And it, mindfulness allows us to see all of that information in front of us. Hmm. I think, what is it that John Kabat-Zinn says? This, this quote's floating in my mind, but it's not fully formed. I think he says, oh, um, in every moment, there's more right with you than wrong with you. Uh-huh. Which to me, if I think of that quote and I think of our conversation, it's like, yeah, I mean, even if I'm experiencing a horrific migraine or I'm experiencing intense grief and loss uh, or a very stressful circumstance, my heart's still beating. I'm still breathing. Most of my cells, the vast majority are still functioning as mm-hmm. they yeah. properly or, or healthfully. Um, all these organs are working. The floor that I'm sitting on is stable. My chair has all four legs. <laughs> so there's a lot happening, but it can, it, and it's, it's a survival tendency. It's, it's human nature to focus on the things that are wrong, right? Because this is a survival need. If a tiger's chasing me, yeah, not so helpful to focus on how my breath is right is is happening like I got to get away from the tiger um when things become chronic it becomes a different story because there's this question of how to live with whether that be in 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 the next 30 minutes or in the next 30 years um but yeah I love that quote because it's it it sort of implies a level of trust Mm -hmm. or asks us to trust in a different way of let's turn our attention to everything that's happening versus just the things that we want to change or that we wish were different. Which aren't happening in the moment, mm-hmm. right? What we want for tomorrow, well, tomorrow's not happening right now. Mm-hmm. Um, what we're worried about that might happen isn't happening right now. So we really want to see what's happening, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go ever go be able to go to a restaurant isn't happening right now. I won't be able to run isn't happening right now. Mm-hmm. Um, what's happening right now? That's what we can use. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, because you're like, but I even, if I could run, would I even be doing it right now? <laughs> you know? that too, right? and that's not to belittle someone's experience, but it, it's not it's at all. When you sit in it, it's like, well, mm-hmm. I might not even, because the idea of I can't or, or uh, shrinking a possibility is painful, but it never, it, it, it never exists in the exact present moment, you know? Yeah. Because even if I could run 12K in this exact moment, maybe I would just be looking for my running shoes. So yeah. I can still do that now, maybe, you know, or thinking thinking where my running shoes are, <laughs> you know? So 
it's an interesting frame when we, when we narrow things down to the present and then the key is without judgment. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and as is, and that's, that's that acceptance piece is what is occurring. Um, yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. I can see how those three components that you described, maybe we, you can, you can go take us through those three again. Um, so we can kind of end on that, but I can see how they, they're all one at the same time, but then we're also working through them. We, we keep going back. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, absolutely. And you're right. So they, they do work together and it's not sort of step one, step two, step three. But if I would have to create sort of a, a guideline, the first step would be to absolutely validate. Um, yes, I hear you. Um, tell me more, like tell me what's happening right now and um, explore that. What What is happening right now? Um, and begin to grieve what was, right? Um I hear that too. That's not where you're at right now. And how does that feel for you? And and what does that look like for you? And what are you losing? What are you missing? What are you wanting? And that's a, that's a big process that we, we can't rush and everyone will have their own space for that. Um, Once we do that, we can begin to see where we're at. Um, And that's the acceptance. So what is going on right now? right? That's what you want. That's what you're not having. Well, what is going on right now? Mm-hmm. Um, and that includes the, the anxiety that we may add on, or that may be interfering with, with our, you know, management of pain or chronic illness and the depressive symptoms and what else is happening because of this that's going on. Um, and let's sit here for a bit because this is a, this, there's a lot here. So yeah. let's take our time and let's look at this. And what does it mean to you? If this is where you're at, this is what you're telling me, this is where you're at. And this is what's happening because this is where you're at. What does all this mean? What does all this mean for you? And let's look at that too. Um, and let's stay here for a bit. And then um, when we're ready, right? When that piece is like, okay, this is where I'm at. Like I, I'm getting that right. I can't do much about that. Then what can we do about it? Right. What do you want to do with it? Um, where are you going with this? What does that look like? What might that look like? Um, and how are you with that? Right. So we start to move forward with it all. It's beautiful. Yeah. And it encompasses so many things. Plus I'm many more that we've talked about a tool in that process is mindfulness. Um, but, but some of it may be like, yeah, pragmatic list-making and solution focus type <laughs> process. Yeah. Um, any, anything else, Edna, that you'd like to end off on any last thoughts? There's nothing that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but you know, if I may say so, and I think it's evident in the in what we've been speaking about, it's a complex process. Mm-hmm. And so we want to treat it as a complex process. It's not a one size fits all solution. Um, it is working with the client. Um, every client, every individual, every person is going to process things different, is going to feel things differently, is going to think things differently. So I want to know, and I care about where you're at, what that looks like. And I want to know that. So it's complex and and we want to treat it as that. And it's not easy. It's Mm -hmm. absolutely not easy, but there might be something we can do. Mm -hmm. There might be. And it's not so much a 
prescription or a med, like it's not a five session package deal. It's yeah, it, it's a, yeah, it's a process that is meeting someone's needs and exploring what those needs might even be. Mm-hmm. It's a support, you know, in someone's life versus, yeah, I think especially when someone is primarily dealing or the first thing they're dealing with is the medical model. It's like, well, I need a solution for this. I need to fix the physical. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll go to psychotherapist to fix the mental and emotional. And it's like, well, we're not fixing yeah. anything. We're, <laughs> we're, in, we're in a dance or in a process. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like we also talked about, I mean, healing is not just something is gone back to normal. Um, so even exploring what does healing Absolutely. look like is, yeah. is its own thing, you know? Yeah. Thank you. And is there anywhere people can find you? Where can they find you? Um, well, they can uh, look up the website aboutmind.ca. We're in um, Etobicoke, uh, so Islington and Dundas area. And um, yeah, we can sort of put up, I guess, the, the website and that's where I am. Beautiful. Thank you so much for talking to me. Thanks for having me.